necessarily nerdy themselves. With you today is your nerdy tutor, myself, George, and with me today, my first officer, my mom. Hey. Alrighty, so, last week we started, we talked about Star Trek and the myriad of different things happening in Star Trek, so it's a deep canon that's trying to get a revitalization here as of late, but, um, but I think if you really wanted to start with Star Trek here, you can kind of really start anywhere. My recommendation is kind of to start with The Next Generation, because it still holds up very well by comparison to other series, um... And if you ever actually kind of want to get into that 90s sort of Star Trek, which is a lot of these episodes take place in, in the bulk of the series that exists in, you can start with Next Generation because it's a good primer and it lays the foundation of what to expect from Star Trek for the most part here. So these were the choices why I chose this series to start with instead of like Deep Space Nine or... um, Voyager in particular, because Deep Six Nine is basically a long-term space opera of war in a in a way. Because mm-hmm. there's a giant war that kind of yeah. happens in this huge struggle with all these politics. But it's like you don't know about the politics beforehand in Star Trek: The Next Generation. They don't really quite make sense in Voyager because it was kind of trying to redo the magic that was the original series of constantly seeing new stuff and being in new places, like, none of that. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine have almost no function on Voyager at all, or very little function at all. Um, They're independent. It's somewhat independent for the most part. Um, Did they ever play at the same time? Yes, actually. So, okay. Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine shared basically the sixth and seventh season of uh, The Next Generation here. So so you could have watched Star Trek three nights in a row? Well, I, well, well what used to happen was is that by the time Next Generation finally ended at season seven, the very next year, so was the third season of, of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, they started Voyager. And, and so on the nights in which they had new episodes, they had the episodes of Deep Space Nine and Voyager... The hour preceding that, they had reruns of Star Trek The Next Generation. So you did have a whole block. So I had like a three-hour block on those nights, yes. Oh, cool. So I could have watched Star Trek The Next Generation reruns, and then an episode of Deep Space Nine, then an episode of Voyager. Did you have a TV in your room at that point? No. No, this would have been the very early 90s. Okay. So. All right. So we chose. So I chose some episodes to watch here from... Star Trek The Next Generation here, and I chose them for a couple different reasons. One of which are some of the hi- most highly rated episodes of in the Star Trek fandom. Like, these are episodes that are beloved episodes in some way, shape, or form. Um, but also, the majority of these episodes deal with some level of either morality or some level of politics. Like, like I chose them because they have interesting topics to them, and... Thus, they're very much also a good benchmark of kind of what I think Gene Roddenberry was aiming for with Star Trek initially. Okay, so so it's it's interesting because um, you talk about the series holding up, and some of the issues they bring up in in the five episodes that that you had me watch mm-hmm. um, are very topical to now, um, twenty five years later. Yes, and and I found that. 
very interesting. I wondered how you how you chose them because they were very different topics. Mm-hmm. Um, a, wide, and a wide gambit was a wide gambit, and and absolutely no phasers were fired. No, and that was kind of the thing. Like when a phaser was fired, it was like the last recourse in a lot of ways. No, like, nobody shot at anybody. Couple, you know, there was a, a stabbing in one of them, but. Um, and and certainly he gets shot at by something in one of them because he's dying, um, but but really no no war you barely touched on the Romulans and the Klingons um, there was there was very little no altercations um, so I found that very interesting because I think most people coming off of the original series remember them. I remember them landing on planets and battling. And really, there's not a lot of landing on planets um, within within what I watched. Yeah, a lot of it kind of takes place in, the, in a lot of space here. Um, well, on the on the ship. Yeah. And, yeah. And that was kind of my thing. I mean, like, I as much as I enjoy the episodes where they are on planets and there are episodes like The Best of Both Worlds, which is mm-hmm. the, the two-parter that I talked about. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, like, a great ep- a great pair of episodes but like that's n- majority of what you watch is kind of what Star Trek was for the most part here like not a lot of confrontations a lot of moral dilemmas and things happening now you did have some planetary stuff here like there's episodes where they start talking about Bajor and the stuff happening with that which leads into Deep Space Nine but I think more or less that was more or less the groundwork because they knew Deep Space Nine was coming out and you would want to start planting the notions of that here but um, again I mean like for the most part again when they fired a phaser it was almost as if they like failed at whatever mission they were at and then had to resort to violence. Well yeah it's okay so this is not Will, Will Shatner's No no and that was Star a big track. and that was a big departure for a lot of initial fans here where you had again Will Will Shatner as this kind kind of like very like youngish like thirties maybe very early forties but definitely in his thirties sort of roguish yeah sort of, yeah yeah sort of almost like a rogue and he always went down onto the planets and he always, very swashbuckling yes which which was the kind of the show of the era at the time I mean like oh yeah no wagon train was had its swashbuckling moments too but um but yeah no when we get to like next generation again almost like 20 years later when they do it here like you know picard is this much older man he seems this very kind of renaissance sort of very yeah renaissance is a good term yeah very renaissance sort of guy that's looks not, like not not necessarily dashing looks like he could have been in his, like his 40s or 50s at that point yeah. Like, he's been around for a while, and he's seen a lot of stuff, so that's why he's captain, you know, he's the captain of this But he's almost kind ship. of ageless in his own way. Oh, yes, very much so. Like, it's it's hard to, hard to nail down an age for him, but at the same time, you're like, no, he's not that old. But he's that old. Okay. So, so let's go through the different episodes I offer, um, I offer to you for you. The first one we'll start with is Offspring. That was the only episode of the five that I have a recollection of having seen before. Okay. I, I I had seen that, although I, I didn't remember all of the the plot line. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a uh, a thread through all of these, to, except for maybe the the last one I watched, um, there is a a thread that that Picard is. Um, 
upright, almost righteous. Mm-hmm. To a fault, almost. To, almost to a fault. And, um, and uh, stands up for, for um, what it's, he thinks is right, regardless of the peril. So it amazes me that he still captains the ship by the end of this because he's constantly pissing off admirals. Yes. No, and that was one of the other things, and I kind of didn't realize until much later here that I picked a lot of episodes with admirals in it, oddly enough. Yeah. And they don't, and oddly, like, seeing an admiral on, in the show was, like, a big deal initially. Like, they rarely showed up, but oddly enough, I picked episodes with admirals in it, so I apologize, but... Oh, no, no need for apology. A number of them were female, and that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so you picked, um, the episode, this particular episode... Um, dealt with two really two different things. Yeah. Um, one is is AI, and mm-hmm. and that's that's a coming reality. And we have tenants who work on AI. So, um, it was interesting to see what would happen when somebody feels and mm-hmm. um, interesting. So many interesting things about it. Um, so the you know the setup is basically Data, um, who is an android himself, yes, um, creates his own offspring, mm-hmm. and and so the first the first question that gets raised very early on um, is is Captain Picard says why you should have consulted me on this and and Data very astutely answers but you don't usually get involved in whether or not people procreate. And Picard is very taken back by that response. Um, and he begrudgingly kind of agrees to it, too. It's like, yeah. okay, you really got a point there. Yeah. Um, but it, it asks, it, it, it begs the question. And, and um, I, I remember even back in the day, you know, Diana Troy was a babe. And, oh, and, and the, her costume does, uh, does not not hit at that like it's yeah dr crusher isn't wearing the same no, same one no, yeah no, no. the counselor has a very you know, sexualized sort of costume here yeah it's in, and interesting that she's the counselor but but um but uh but she takes a, a stronger role in this one than she does in any of the others that i watched yeah. as well so um so the first question that gets asked is is who has the right to say who grants life if life can be created and if we we can create ai does it get to create its own offspring mm-hmm. well i mean i think as a moral dilemma that's still something we're, we're well it's the, i mean ideally the the goal here is to eventually have technology that learns on its own level i mean we have basically google it as its own sort of thing here that basically doesn't get taught what is an apple it like just shows enough pictures of what it thinks is an apple until it eventually learns how to do that well and it, it comes up with eventually these algorithms based off these little ais that are just designed to learn what an apple is and it just does that billions and billions of times before like it takes the best of that collection makes new offspring off of those and just continues to cycle until it gets better well, facebook does it yeah yeah, and again, every, I mean, every if, you know, we have all sorts of um, AI these days that um, is prompted by learning you. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I, I found I found so many interesting, really um, applicable to now topics within this particular 
mm-hmm. within this particular episode, and probably the most in this episode of any of them. Yeah, this one, because it mostly just deals kind of like the creation of life, and then if that life happens to be a robot created by another robot, like, who's to say that this isn't like an offspring or this isn't something of interest? Well, in, well, in this particular instance, it very definitely is offspring. Mm-hmm. And um, and Data is trying to groom it and grow it, and, and Picard fights for Data's right to keep his child. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they try to separate them, well, that's towards the end of the episode, but, but I mean, um, Picard fights for the, for the right and, and very much regards um, Data as as a father once he gets used to the concept. Yeah. Um, so I found that that bringing up to light um, what is a, what is a parent. Yeah. And and who can be a parent, and he's a very good parent. Um, he's, he's doing all the right things you would want to do as a parent. I would. I would yeah. I would presume he, here, like giving it the choice to literally, in this case, begin, when he gets created, like he has no. Gender. Race or gender here, and it is given the choice of different ones. One of them being like a Klingon. Yeah. And so when it finally decides on this, like, I he, guess he gives her over is, over a thousand choices. Mm-hmm. And this is what it chose at the end of the day, which shows, you know, and it's certainly got a lot more emotion than Data has as well. That it's talking with Deanna Troy here about its own emotions, and that's what ends up. So the episode ends up going where. Uh, Starfleet admirals learn about this new android and are want to study it more, but Picard won't let them take it away. Se- Separator, separator from from her father. Yeah, and then at the end of the day, here like the android here is so overwhelmed by emotions that it well, fails. Okay, so my understanding was that at one point the admiral says, "I don't, I'm overruling you." Yeah, and I'm I'm taking the android, and he and says to Data because if both of you are on the same ship and something happens, we lose you both. Which is which is reasonable. Which is a reasonable. Yeah, Data can't really refute that. He understands. No, that's a very reasonable sort of thing at the end. Of the so day. when she learns she's going to be separated, mm-hmm. she feels fear, and she goes to Deanna Troy, and and she's having what is a very human response to fear, mm-hmm. and and she basically breaks down. And in the end, Data is incapable of love because he was never built to have emotions. And she, in one of those lovely tearjerker moments, um, says, um, "I will love for both of us." Yes. And um, and and Data, as much as he doesn't have emotion, really can't bring himself to let her go. To let her go. So he um, downloads her her memory banks and, mm-hmm. and keeps those and gets to relive those from time to time. The res- I also found very interesting the response from um, the crew, who um, very welcoming at the end of the day too. Very welcoming and also um, very sad in expressing such sorrow for Data's loss, even though Data can't really feel, feel the loss. loss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it interests me that in the future future of the um, show, he doesn't ever try to create a second one. I mean, like, I, I suppose he could. But, I mean, I think the episode kind of shows that, like, you know, you try the one time here and unless, you know, like, he would have to do... Again, I mean, like, 
if the notion was he was going to create his own here, he would he had like literally years to try to create his own. The fact that he tried to do it this time here and failed means that he's probably going to, if he tries to do it again at a later point, he'll have to learn more or something else that changed. Okay. So, so a couple I mean, that's my rationale. Okay. Least. So a, a couple of, of, of thoughts that I found from a, just from a, from a uh, overall yeah. um, viewpoint were that, that um, the writers of the show we're anticipating that we still haven't mastered making AI feel, because this is several centuries into the future, mm -hmm. um, that we still haven't mastered making AI feel, that the assumption is that, that it do, it's still without. Possibly, yeah. I mean, like, the writers had kind of a very interesting job at the end of the day, was to come up with these unique sort of moralistic tales in space. And what does that look like? Well, and and it's in it's I mean like this this is a widespread of topics mm -hmm. and um and and all of them great episodes. So um the fact that it's still topical says that morals are, are probably always topical in, in some form some or way another. In nature. Yeah. yeah. Um but this dealt with I think um it, well, each of these actually dealt with things that I thought were very um, Still relevant. Yeah, very relevant to where to where yeah. we are. Yeah. I I picked the episode initially because I liked the relevance to taking away children, much in the same way. We the have immigrants. They're doing yeah. Precisely yeah. Like what you know? Like why do you, you know? Not the same analogies here, but I found like similar through lines through that, like the morality of that at the end of the day. Of here. separating them and who stands up for them as well. Precisely yeah. Yeah, who protects them. All right, so let's okay. move on to the next one. Okay. So the next one is, again, one of my favorite ones here. Oh, that last one, directed by William Riker, Mr. Jonathan Franks. Really? Yes. A lot of the cast eventually start um, directing their own episodes. Pe the Pegasus here, for example, is done by LeVar Burton, Mr. Jordy LaForge. Oh, that's interesting because he has, he has a very limited role in it. Oh, yeah, somewhat limited role, but that might be because he was... Directing it, yeah. So... Okay. All right. So, yeah, so the Pegasus here, um, Admiral Pressman is contracted the Enterprise here to go into an asteroid field kind of near the Romulan neutral zone border to try to find a ship called the Pegasus that theoretically disappeared. It thinks that we think it exploded, but it maybe disappeared, maybe didn't disappear. Um, the Riker and Admiral Pressman have known each other from when Admiral Pressman was Captain Pressman and Riker was a very young first ensign and, officer. And, and, and they were both serving on the Pegasus. Yes, they were both serving on the Pegasus. Um, it's discovered here that like the Pegasus is also being looked for by Romulans. So it's very confusing why the Romulans are looking for this as well. Yeah. Um, and then you come to find out here through a series of... And, and they can't find it. You must keep them from finding it. Yes. Yeah. Pressman is very, very particular that not only must we find it, but we must recover the Pegasus and everything. Equ equipment that's on it. Precisely. And then so throughout the episode, you get kind of this relationship between Riker and Pressman where it's kind of like this, like... It's tense. It's very, it's very tense, very kind of like a... I don't want to say like father and son like that don't like each other, but you get that vibe kind of midway oh, yeah. through. Um, Picard clearly picks up on the vibe here of what's going on and is very kind of, tell me what's going on. 
and it's discovered that there was a mutiny on the ship at some point. Here. Well, Will Riker won't tell him. No, and, and that's and what's part of going the point. on, and and in because in part because the admiral has said don't. Well, the admiral's also classified this entire thing here too. He's made sure that like nobody really can get this. Whatever yeah, happened nobody here. knows what happened except much of the crew mm-hmm. um, perished on on on, on the, the Pegasus. This, yeah. So eventually, what ends up happening is that they find the Pegasus halfway through an asteroid, like literally like phased into inside, it. inside it, and. They go over to there, and they come back, and they, real Riker eventually tell, basically lets the game up here, saying that like, what the Pegasus found was a, what the Pegasus had was an experimental cloaking device, that also lets you kind of pass through solid matter. Which is really kind of a cool thing at the end of the day, but the major dilemma here though, is that the Romulans, and the Federation have a have a peace treaty which basically says that the federation won't develop cloaking technology at all which the, is on neither side will and no, no, and i saw the, that the romulans it, can develop it that was the treaty oh they can yeah yeah oh. romulans can develop cloaking technology as where uh starfleet cannot so that was kind of the that kind of the, the agreement this is one of the reasons why starfleet never has cloaking devices and even when they one ship actually in deep space nine does have it to defiant it actually has to have a Romulan officer on board, and the Romulan officer can only activate the cloaking device when they're in the Gamma Quadrant. They're not allowed to use it when they're in the Alpha Quadrant. For even that the most, seems unfair. It does, but you got to remember that, like at the end of the day, here, like Starfleet's a primarily peace-loving, peace, peace-loving, yeah. peacekeeping sort of force here, and. Uh, if you could have cloaking devices on these ships, then none of these ships would ever be outside a cloak and you would never get to see the exteriors of them. Plus kind of the notion of a Romulan warbird or Romulan warbird or a Klingon bird of prey kind of was like, kind of like uncloaking and coming to attack you is kind of this cool surprise attack versus like Federation that doesn't really do surprise attacks. They, they're showing up, they're showing up in force and they're going to show their might with their massive starships well i mean par- but part of the storyline is that the the cloaking device that that's there mm-hmm. is faulty it's and faulty, yes. and and what happens um you you started to talk about picard finds out that there was a mutiny on board and mm-hmm. he doesn't know why, why except the the will Riker defended the the uh captain admiral Ab- well what who was admiral, at the time at the time captain, captain. Pressman, yes and um, and got him off the off the ship and saved his life basically mm-hmm. um, during that mutiny. And when they get on board the the ship, the Pegasus, which is which is because it's a faulty cloaking device, actually uncloaked itself into the asteroid. So forty percent of the ship, <coughs> excuse me, forty percent of the ship is actually. In the ass, like oh, yeah. physically in rock. In rock, yeah, absolutely. And um, and that's why it can't be brought out. And when they get there, there are dead people. Just strewn about. Strewn about. And um, but the dead people, because they're in space, haven't decayed or anything. They're just dead people. Yeah. Um, and he and the admiral have a talk in which he says, 
that he was only seven months out of the academy and a and naive and didn't know, really know the difference here of what was right and wrong. Yeah. And, and that he's kind of holding on to this guilt for like a number of years, just that, unable to speak about it. That he did the wrong thing um, by by not telling the full truth at the, at the, uh, the hearing hearings. about the mutiny, mm-hmm. and that that this piece of equipment is wrong. He really wants nothing to do with bringing it back, but the admiral gives him an order, and you see him with this agony. Um, having to follow orders he knows to be like wrong, morally wrong. Yeah. And the Admiral talks about the treaty that was struck and how wrong it was and how goes, much it handicapped. Yeah, how much it handicapped the Federation here because it's a giant tactical advantage loss that they basically have. Because, again, like cloaking technology in space here is actually very useful because you can go about your own business with nobody being able to see you. It allows for surprise attacks. It allows to have the upper hand in spying on your enemies. But that's not really Starfleet's modus operandi really is to, is not for them not to spy at all so so now you have the sh- the the enter- the enterprise has gone inside this asteroid where they find the pegasus right so it's now inside the asteroid the Rom- romulans who we've already met and are are also looking for it um have now blocked the exit mm-hmm. um back out of the asteroid and the enterprise is stuck in the asteroid and they will all die. Unless um, they find a way to get out. And yeah. So the Romulans have offered him a choice. He, they, they can all they can beam aboard the Romulan ship and be taken someplace where they'll basically they don't put it this way, but the inference is they'll be prisoners. They'll be their guests. They'll be their guests, and after a short stay on Romulus, they'll be re- returned back to their back to their. Uh, Federation people. It's like, yeah, a short stay on Romulus probably means some sort of level of interrogation or debriefing. And it's like, uh, no. No, yeah, we'll get back to you on that. And so then they're trying to look at their options. The Romulans are still hanging around because they're waiting for an answer. They, you know, think then, they've won the day. Oh, yeah. Um, but again, no shots are fired. Uh, they talk about possibly blasting out of the the asteroid, but they don't know what that will do because the asteroid has its own gravity field. I mean, like, it's bigger than a starship here by quite some measure. Yeah. So something of that size and mass will probably have some level of gravitational force Well, they, they say that it does, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, like, who knows what will happen if you were to try to destroy it from the inside. Would that even work in a lot of cases? Because even when they say earlier in there I was like hey the ship's here why don't we just blow it up it'll take all of our photon torpedoes to do it yeah you know but it's yeah. doable but it's doable uh, but if we do that and the Romulans then then turn around and attack us we'll have nothing precisely yeah so they, they talk about a couple of different options and finally Will Riker says well that piece of equipment that we just brought back mm-hmm. is this anti you know this cloaking device that lets you phase through walls, essentially. Yeah, and that was what was special about it, was that mm-hmm. it let you phase through solid matter, which is how the Pegasus got, got stranded. in there, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, of course, everyone's very, very, um, you know, Picard's very upset. Uh, Riker's very upset. Um, you know, they, they all realize that this is a violation of the treaty. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, 
you know, a number of things in this conversation have taken place. The Admiral's going, the Admiral eventually gives a direct order to arrest Picard. Yes. Um, because Picard is going to, to turn him in to, to Starfleet um, for having violated. Uh, and uh, Worf refuses to, to arrest him and the, and uh, they, they ha in order to get out of the asteroid, they have to use it. Yes. Um, but they know if they use it, if they decloak in front of the Romulans, the Romulans will know what happened. The, well, the Romulans will wonder why they have a cloaking device, and then they'll wonder how they got out of the asteroid. Right. And that opens just a whole bunch of questions, because it's kind of hard not to do that when you have a bunch of sensor data and stuff like that. Um, and they eventually get out of there, and Picard actually does decloak in front of the Romulans. Romulans. I think it does it very intentionally in, as well. Yeah, he said not he's... wanting to hide the truth at all anymore. Right, right. <clears throat> when when you think which, it, which basically cooks the admiral's goose. Yeah, but and when you think about it here, like he could have not decloak. He could have gotten out of the asteroid in some way, shape, or form. And and sailed away and and disappeared well, yeah. and disappeared into the into the ether, and the Romulans would have not known wouldn't have known how they ever got out right and if they ever got out because again I mean like they've sealed the hole and everything but do the Romulans then try to keep opening up the asteroid to find the Pegasus or do they do something else here. Well, like, it's, at some point they figure out that, that they get, that they're going to figure out. Yeah, I don't and, think there's any way that they could have gotten yeah, out. Yeah, so they're eventually just Regardless gonna, of whether they declose. Yeah, so they're going to... So Picard's just of the opinion here, you know what, we'll just do it and we'll bite the bullet here and then basically he goes... The second they decloak in front of them, he basically tells them, like, send a message to the Romulans that their government's going to be contacted in a few days regarding this incident. Dent, yeah. You know, and at the end of the episode here... Um, Picard tells Worf to place the Admiral under arrest and Riker says like, if you're putting him under arrest you have to put, put me, me under, under arrest, arrest as well too. Yeah. and does so and at the end of the episode Picard being kind of like the dad to an older son is like hey like you're gonna, people are going to look at you differently now because of this you know and might halt your career for a while because of it Yeah, you know but even earlier in the episode here, at one point, the Admiral and Captain Picard are having dinner t or having a drink or something together, and they discuss why Picard had chosen Will Riker without ever actually having met him. Yeah. And it was because he, because Riker had, uh, everybody was kind of very much the same when he was looking for his first officers, but Riker had at one point um, tried to stop his captain from doing something because he thought it would endanger the crew and Picard was like that's my guy I need a guy who's going to stand up to me and say no don't do that that's challenge wrong. me yeah yeah I need a, I need somebody there to challenge me as my first officer so again the here your theme your your theme is is um, do you always follow orders even when you know the orders are wrong that and kind of a little bit of the diploma the treaty sort of stuff here because again like there's a couple different treaties that do come up every so often um, and regulations that Starfleet pretty much has to follow all the time as a military organization you know like you can't just go in guns blazing okay so so, so, I, so I found this very analogous to 
the um, Iran treaty that, that uh, was just recently voided, mm -hmm. that we stepped out of, and, and also the, the uh, Paris Climate Accords, yeah. um, treaties, that, treaties that we... Um, Entered into with good faith and then backed out of for somewhat duplicitous reasons. So, so, I, so I, I found it. I found it again very topical, even now. Yeah. Twenty five years later. Again, all good stories can be that way. You know, I often will watch episodes of The West Wing and still think about like, wow, these are still stuff that we talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, all right. So the next episode uh, was the Drumhead. So this is the one where um, there's. An incident that there's an explosion on the Starship Enterprise that is believed to be sabotage, and Starfleet sends an investigator to go and investigate what happened. And it isn't just an explosion. There have been plans shared. Mm -hmm. There have been plans for for a weapon for uh, something. Starship uh, plans. Okay, Starship plans like have been have been sh have been shared blueprints, and they can't figure out how. Mm -hmm. So this totally went in a different direction than I thought it was going to. I know. It was interesting because initially it looked like the the guy who stole them the plans um, and gave them to the Romulans uh, was a Klingon, mm -hmm. and and Worf, who is the security officer, is a Klingon, mm -hmm. and um, and he this, this guy basically. Um, offers Worf, says, says, you're not spoken uh, well of on our planet. No. Nobody thinks highly of you because you work for the Federation, because you do this. Well, not only that, but also because his dad was a traitor to the Klingon Empire by working with the Romulans. So, like, Worf, Worf's just not in high regards at this point with the Klingons here. Like, he, he yes, he's a fellow Klingon, um, but like nobody likes him. But nobody likes him, and and um, and so I thought this was going to be because the 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 uh, the thief Klingon mm -hmm. um, tells Worf, "Get me onto a shuttle rather than take me back to a cell. Get me get me on a shuttle, and I will restore your name, and you can die with glory, and no one will know." Yeah, <laughs> except for all the Klingons that I tell about. Oh yeah. Um, and um, and Worf turns him down, and actually there's a bit of a little fist fight over that. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a thing where everybody doubts Worf's... Honor and reputation. And which side he's on. Yes. I was expecting something sort of analogous to um, the Japanese concentration camps in the United States during World War II. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of thinking it was going to go there. Um, and it didn't, although it still dealt with somebody who had other um, blood in them, as it were. Yes. So they they bring in the um, the admirable who admiral this who is, is the chief inquisitor. Yes. And her, and her father had been a very influential inquisitor as well. Yes. And it ends up being something a little bit more like. Um, like a Nazi thing. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's actually very true, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. So they're, they discover that the um, plans were taken out through um, plasma, 
that somehow he encoded it in his own plasma because he was getting shots every day mm -hmm. for some sort of rare disease and he got and he had some sort of um, coder put on the um, the the, uh, the so he gets a yeah. hyperspray every day that has like some sort of like daily necessity of vitamins or yeah. something like that and somehow what they had done is they had encoded some of the proteins in that thing to have the data built into it and so that he could basically carry it in his body and have the proteins resequenced at a later time to share all the data. Yeah, so I'm glad, so glad you understood that um, because because I was a little, little fuzzy a, on exactly how that was happening. Star Trek, again, you got to remember like one thing is that Star Trek physics and technology is intentionally wonky so that it doesn't make sense because if they had it make sense from episode to episode, some crazy nerd would figure that out and then like later come back with like, um, well, actually, you can't do that because this is actually how this works. It's like, yeah, no, got it. So, um, so anyway, so as uh, it turns out, somebody on the medical staff who has given him those treatments several times, um, unbeknownst to everyone, has a Romulan grandfather. Which he had said was a Vulcan grandfather initially. but So he lied on his applications. Mm -hmm. And even though there's no other proof of anything, he gets railroaded. And, um, and, and they're then uh, looking into his friends and acquaintances and the people he went through Star Trek Academy with. And, um, and it's a young man. Mm -hmm. And the whole time Picard is like, whoa, we're carrying this too far. There's nothing, there's no proof that he did anything. He's, there's no evidence that he did anything. Yeah. Um, there, there are actually two interrogators and a, uh, so there's the, there's a, a reporter. A head there's a head interrogator and then there's a reporter and then there's like the. Sort of an investigator. Yeah. And so like, and then the, and then there's like a first, there's like a secretary that's. Um, a similar race to what they uh, to Deanna Troy, which is a beta Z, which is consents emotions. Yeah, consents emotions and kind of read thoughts between other beta Zs. Yeah. So like, like the better kind of they're like natural telepaths, I guess is the best way to put. Well, it. and he interprets that this this poor poor kid is lying because he's because he's actually lying about something else, else and not he's, about he's like he's yeah he's lying about his his. He knows that he's fibbed on that application. Yeah, that he's part Romulan, Romulan. not Vulcan. So yeah, so um, so they, they anyway they start these and 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 Worf gets his staff in on it as well. He he yeah. takes up the banner as well, which is surprising because he's you know of sorts should be the person who's the most sympathetic. Yeah, you would think. You would think because he's he's himself a, a a Klingon and mm -hmm. has probably been subjected subjected to a lot of questions about his loyalties. Yeah. I I personally thought that's where the episode was going to go. I was surprised when it didn't. Um so they were so intent on finding something. Um and this this woman again because this happens in in uh the, the first three episodes I watched, actually, um, consistently had um, Picard taking on admirals and being threatened yes. uh, by them for his job. Oh, yeah. 
and that happens again here. Well, what ended up happening here is so much is that this investigator eventually, because Picard just like keeps kind of trying to stalwart her and stop her just about every single sort of avenue and turn, trying to be the better voice here, she eventually comes to the belief that, oh, well, let me get rid of Picard, and then everything will start going a lot smoother. Well, so she, let, well, and she actually starts, I think... A tribunal on him. Yeah, she starts a tribunal on him, but she, I mean, she starts actually accusing him of things. Not only being, um, first she starts... Uh, claiming that he broke the prime directive on a couple different occasions. He brought up, she goes back through his files and finds any dirt she can. And now, mind you, the dirt that she finds up are actually previous episodes as well. Okay, so people are, are so, aware so, of them. So if you're clued into the episodes, you would have known previous episodes. If you're good enough, you would have remembered what episode they were. Yeah. But like you'll you'll know that some of the things that she's talking about happened in previous episodes. Okay. Um, and then she also brings up uh, the best of both worlds, uh, which is uh, the time in which Picard became a Borg, and outright calls him a traitor for the, for traitor, and how can he still be a captain if he's got if he had become a Borg at one point? Yeah. Like you know she's going quite you know deep on but in the, in the meantime um picard has contacted another uh admiral mm-hmm. and and asked for a supervisor which who has who now arrived yes for the, the for that tribunal yeah so yeah like at that point here like now in the process of the tribunal here he's actually brought in another person to oversee this here and not just let this investigator and you know, Inquisitor just, like, have free reign here. Who is an admiral herself? A former admiral. A former admiral, okay. Yeah, she's now apparently in the, like, law or justice kind of department sort of thing. Okay. So, um, and the end of episode, basically, is Picard has this story speech about how, um, you know, you know, you take away her voice, you take away da-da-da, and all we're left is with well, tears. It's, ba- it's basically, um, he basically talks about the... The innocent until proven guilty, mm-hmm. and and it is very much. Um, I thought. Um, I thought I found it very applicable to to sort of or analogous to Jews in not in in Nazi Germany. And yeah. once you start turning your back on on this, then what happens next? Yeah. And for that same reason, felt it felt like it was analogous to what's happening now, um, in so many ways. Yeah. Um, eventually the end of episode the way the end episode ends here is that um, the admiral here basically kind of just gets up and leaves and says she like, melts down well she has a meltdown but Wait, well it turns out that he is quoting her father's words yeah and her father was a justice and mm-hmm. she she has a meltdown in which she she says you know how dare you even speak my father's name and my father's the highest of men and da 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 and she but she has she completely flips out oh yeah yeah very much so. And then the Admiral who Picard had brought in basically gets up and says, like, no, enough of this. This is done. We're, we're done. We're, yeah. we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. You know, you're going to go back to Starfleet and we're going to reconsider your position. Yeah. Um, and then they have this, and then Worf and Picard have this very kind of touching sort of mm, talk at the very end of it here where, like, Worf's like, you know, I'm sorry that I, you know, played a part in any of this yeah he realizes that he was yeah like he realizes at the very end here that he was being very overzealous and basically that he got caught well but 
it was an, a, a uh, sort of a, a representation of, of when we get caught up and influenced by um, a little like McCarthyism, actually. Yeah. It would be another, yeah. another one. Um, guilt by association and, and uh, you know, getting caught up in something just because people in authority are, are, are telling you that's what is. Yeah. So I, I found it very, very interesting. Yeah. I had a good episode at the end of yeah. the Yeah. All right. So the next one here I picked was Tapestry. This is, again, we didn't have an episode with Q, so I figured we needed an episode with Q. And Love this one, Q. And this one is a great episode all on, all on its own here, too. So, um, oh, uh, Drumhead, also directed by Jonathan Franks. Oh, there we go. Okay. So. Uh, so tapestry is basically is a before is a cold open here. Picard has been shot. Yeah. And he's basically brought into sick bay here. They're trying to get him healthy, but um, they're trying to revive him. They're he's trying to out. Revi- they're trying yeah. to revive him, but he appears in basically a white void. And out from this white void, there's a figure, and Picard kind of just walks toward it's it. Sort of like that light you hear described when people die. Okay. Yeah. Bright, bright white light. Yeah, and then in this white void expanse, he meets Q, dressed in all white. Yes. And Q says he's God. And Q basically just tells him like, "Yeah, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead." Like, no, I'm not. Yes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. It's like, no, I refuse to believe that you're here in the afterlife. Q is like, well, I am. Yeah. Um, and basically what ends up happening here is that Picard starts talking about like his greatest regret and his greatest regret that he had was that he got into this uh, fight when he was in just right out of the academy he got into a fight with a Nausicaan which is this like big gnarly dude like with a lot of spikes on him and everything he got into a fight with a Nausicaan in a bar and got stabbed through the heart, which is how he has like a, um, which is why he has a heart replacement in him, the mechanical heart. Yeah. Um, and he kind of sees that as what he thinks is a point in his life where he wishes he never got into this fight because. Well, he he describes himself as having been rash and taking chances mm-hmm. for a period of his life. And he, and he kind of feels like like um, that wasn't representative of the values that he later grew up to have, you know, yeah. matured into having. Yeah. So, um, so Q does him a kind of a favor, I guess, here in the afterlife, and says like, "You can relive that moment. I'll give you that moment back, and if you can get through it, mm-hmm. um, with with uh, without stabbing the Nausicaan, without oh. getting stabbed, yeah, without getting in the fight." Then you can live. Yeah. Well, then you can. Then you'll. Then you can live. And so, uh, Picard goes through that entire point here and does survive by not getting stabbed that day. Right. Um, he avoids the fight. And he gets kind of teleported back to his old life, but it's not really his old life. He's in a. He's in a blue uniform now, which is a science division. Um, he's a lonely. He's a ensign. He's not. A, he's not the captain of the ship. He's an ensign, and he's not well respected. Not only is he not well respected, he's a glorified errand boy for the most part. Well, he's a science officer, and his job isn't particularly 
interesting. Or yeah. Interesting. Um, it what I what I found most interesting about that um, that particular um, portion of the episode was that he sits down with he asks if he can sit down with with Deanna Troy and uh, and Will Riker who is who is now the captain of the ship mm-hmm. and talk to him them about his future. And they basically both tell him, you know, you're you're prompt, you're dutiful, you're productive, but we don't really see you going anywhere. And he says, well, I'd really kind of like to, you know, may, maybe become a commander. And they said, well, you know, we need to talk about maybe more realistic expectations for you. We don't see that. And then Jordy LaForge is, is on him over, over his uh, communicator. With, with you promised me these um, statistics, where are they? Yeah. You know, so he's having to answer to somebody. And it's not the life he thought envisioned. he would have. Yeah. yeah, it's not the life that, that he really envisioned. You know, it's kind of the morals and the beliefs that he kind of wanted to have. Right. So, uh, sensing and realizing that he made a mistake here, he calls out to Q one more time, and gets put back into that bar fight. Well, well okay, so so let's 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 wait up here a minute. So oh, okay. Q so Q he calls out to Q and and he says this this isn't my life and Q says, Well this is your life. If you weren't reckless and didn't take the risks you took, yeah. This is the life you end up with, but you live. Yeah. And he says, Well I don't want this life and um uh, he says, says give you know basically Ask for another chance, and Q says, "So you would rather die than have this life?" And he says, "Yes, I would rather be dead than have the life." This pathetic life that of no real existence, no real, you know, anything. Well, which is, and, and I actually, in some ways, found that a little offensive because it, it basically defines the quality of life for anybody who's. A worker be as opposed to a leader and for some people that is a very fine quality of life yeah no again I've often said um, in work there's like kind of like three people in work there's your sheep which are just people who want to do the most basic job they need mm-hmm. to and they don't want they don't want for more they're happy with what they've got and they're it's not... appropriate for them and yeah. they're and they're good at that yeah no again I've had again I've had you know I've said before that like some of my best workers are sheep and yeah. they're the best sheep I've ever had in my life because they're people who know what they're doing. They they always respond to work. They're right there when you need them, they're and reliable. you can count them. And they, yeah. they're the most reliable people. Them. Yeah, and they just they don't want for more. They got exactly what they want. Yeah. And then you've got what I call wolves. And these are people who, you know, want to be leaders but don't. But like aren't leaders in a sense either. Well, they're they, willing. They're willing to to do anything to get there. Well, they're willing to do kind of almost anything to get there and. They're not well respected because they don't really have the morals or the yeah. ability to be a leader in some cases. Like, the, and then you've got like you know your your you know your your sheep herding dogs. These are the do- these are the people that walk into a room and it's like ah that right there that's the guy in charge. These are the people yeah. that are the natural leaders. These are the guys everyone looks up to. These are the guys in which you see them and you're like that one right there. That's the one right there. That's the guy in charge. You know, sort of mentality and very much Picard is not a. Ricardo's not a wolf, and he's definitely not a sheep. But he, he, yeah, and he goes to Q and says, 
look, like, that. this is not, you know, I'd rather die young than, and have, you know, and have this My life, yeah. Having my life versus, you know, having this, what I feel is to be a somewhat pathetic sort of life here. And again, like, Picard was not meant to be a, a worker bee or a sheep. Yeah. Like, he really was not. He was meant to be... You know, he was meant to be the leader. He, he, He's the alpha dog. Yeah, and he, he he recognizes that in himself, I guess, at that point. Well, it's an interesting, it's an interesting sort of, the, the moral here is that life life rewards people who take risks. But only if you have the gut to do the, to do the risk. Yeah. But um, the moral is that life can be more fulfilling if you are willing to willing to do those things and that there's a value in being brusque and and uh rash at an age oh see because i i thought there was a different moral to that oh okay see so what i thought was that like you can't go back and change what you've already done you're not going to like what happens afterwards well it's very much a butterfly effect thing oh yeah no very much a butterfly effect you know and again i took it from the point of view that here like that you can't go back and change what you've done. You have to live with what you've done because if you change it, because you can't go back and change it. Well, and okay, so so um, what regrets you have still made you you. Still make you you at the end of the day. I mean, like I, if I had gone to like a different high school and had different friends, I imagine I'd be a much different person. And I don't know if I want to be that different person. I like being me. Yeah. And that was very much the story I got from it here that was like, hey, you can go back and change your stuff, but you may not like who you become and you're not going to be who you are before. Like, I can't imagine not knowing the friends I already have now and doing what I do already here. Like, I can certainly imagine doing something else, but I mean, like, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'd be happy doing whatever else I did and I like this. So Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so, so oh, it's interesting because we came away with sl- slightly different kind of things, things from it. Um, you know, I, I'm all, I'm known to take a risk or two myself. And, um, and so, you know, I think, I, I think that part of it sort of appealed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also felt like it was, you know, the part of him, that himself that he disdained was that young rash man. But that young rash man was very much a part of him that made him who he was later. Exactly. So, um, then the end of the episode is basically, um, he gets stabbed, the se- he gets stabbed here, I guess. In theory, like, this is the second time he's gotten stabbed. And as he's getting stabbed, he looks down and he kind of giggles and laughs at what happened here. Yeah. And then he wakes up in medical bay, in sick bay, and he's recovered. Or he's going to recover. He's alive. He's giggling and laughing, and he has this final moment with Riker. He's like, yeah, I saw freaking Q. Yeah. And he's like, why did you see Q? I don't know. Maybe... I don't know if it was just a dream or if it was elucidation because it was dying or maybe Q really did kind of step in and show me. I, but I can't believe he gave me a second chance. He yeah. actually says, but I can't believe he Q would give me a, a second a chance. chance. Yeah. So, like, it's the, the episode is purposely left vague at the end, like, what really happened here. Yeah. But that's okay because we kind of don't really need to know whatever happened. Yeah. No, okay. you're absolutely right. So, uh, yeah. Again, Not everything has to be tied up with a bow. Now that's my favorite episode. I could see that, and it's I, I like that because again, it has a very like heartfelt felt moment, and like I, I just think it means a lot to me at the end of the day. Like that's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Now, 
the last episode here. And again, I just to back up a little bit, mm-hmm. I thought it was going to go to a different place. I thought the decision he was going to have to make would include the the young woman that he sleeps with that one night. Yeah. I thought that they were going to take it with a whole, this is the wife and family you could have had. Mm-hmm. This is life you have now. Choose between them. Ah. So while we were watching, I thought, oh, okay, this is where they're going with it. And it surprised me that they didn't because that would have been a good story as well. I imagine that could have been a good story. But they actually told that story. Yes, they did. So the next episode here is called The Inner Light. Now, this is considered the best Star Trek episode by a number of fans, websites, and so forth. Like, it's rated either like the top three or even the top number one in a number of different rankings. That's so interesting. Okay. A, it, it also happens to be like the one episode in which this one prop shows up and everyone lost their mind over this one prop. Is it the necklace? No. No. It's the flute. The flute! Yeah. Okay. okay. So the inner light happens is that. Uh, is that the Enterprise comes across across this weird probe in space. And as they're kind of like scanning the probe, the probe kind of projects a light, I guess, onto Picard and knocks him out on the bridge. Yeah. And Picard wakes up in a different place and world. Yeah. And he's a different person. And... He's got a much. He's, he's he's wearing tie dye. He's wearing tie dyed. He's got kind of yeah. He's just he's in a completely different place and. And it's has, a very primitive world. Well, primitive comparatively. By, comparatively, yeah, no, very primitive by 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 what he's used to, and um, he's very very confused about like where he is, um, and he's not known as Picard anymore. He's known as uh, Kanan or Kanan or Kanan. I can't remember the, the same. It's, 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 it, so I listened to it closely because I was trying to see, is it Caleb? Is it, and, and it's, Ka- it's, it's Caleb. It's spelled K-A-M-I-N. Kamen, yeah. So, um, so he's in this, so basically what ends up happening is he gets transported to this other world and he's now living the life of somebody else. In the beginning, he's very much the opinion is like, no, I'm I'm in Starfleet, da 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 da, and everyone's like, did you hit your head on something, man? Well, he'd been sick for a week, yeah. And he'd had a high fever, so the assumption was that because of the high fever, he had lost his memory, and um, and was that was the excuse that was given for yeah. him, had, you know, thinking that this other world even existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's again there. He's the, married. He's married. He's going to have children. Yeah. And, um, and he's married, and 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 this woman's very patient with him and listens to his stories and actually, it, you know, acknowledges in one in in a couple of conversations that that other world was real, but outright questions him. What did that other world offer you that this world doesn't? Do you really? It's time to move on. And, and, and you get this sense of time. They give you, so she, she outright says, you know, it's been five years now. And, um, you know, we're, we're not having a family. We, you know, I want to have children. I want to have a family. Yep. It's time to move on. Yeah, very much it's time to move on from these fantasies and come down kind of to the real world. Yeah. Um, which he does, he does with some trepidation. He's still kind of like, 
has that kind of explorer sort of nature to him, but like he's creating instruments. Um, yeah. He's an iron worker, um, which allows him to create instruments. So yeah. he's he's creating instruments and mapping stars and creates a telescope. Creates a telescope and um, and um, it's also you know sort of helping with coping. Well, but he's helping with with trying. To, the world he's on is in a massive drought, mm-hmm. um, and has been for a while. Um, and they're they're trying anything. They're, they're planting trees almost like a sacrifice to God. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and and he's trying to, um, he t- or at least he tells his wife, and he tells uh, Malak, Mal- the he names his oh. son after him. Oh, uh, Balal. Okay. Okay. So, um, and even tells him, I'm trying to create these things so that I can um, forecast rain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that sort of thing. And er early on, she says, well, you know, here's the one thing you you do. You play the flute. Yeah. Although not particularly well. No. So in a lot of scenes, you see him playing the flute. Or learning to play the flute. Learning to play the flute, yeah. And yeah, I mean, this episode just kind of goes on, and you basically get to see Picard as if he had a family and a life. Clearly, he's still thinks he's supposed to be this other guy here, but eventually, he kind of forgets that and has this other life with a well, family. Yeah. And he has two children. You, you 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 get to see the grandkids. Yeah, you get to watch the passing of time through. Um, you know, his wife uh, um, eventually dies yeah. of old of old age. Yep. And um, and he's still alive, but you see him age drastically. Oh yeah. Um, and as you said, they get to grandchildren. Um, his best friend dies, mm-hmm. and that's who he names his son after. His son, played by his own actual son, Daniel Stewart. Did not realize. Yeah. Cool. So his own son actually got to have a cameo with his dad in a, in a Star Trek episode, which kind of be kind of cool for like father son sort of moments. Yeah. So, um, and the end of the episode here is basically that, like, 40-plus years have kind of passed, and what's causing the drought is actually the sun going supernova. So the sun is going, is in a state where, like, it's about to go supernova, and they launch, you know, they help launch this spaceship, or this probe, into space. And, to, and they all realize, too, that... The, the, that it is going to come to an end. Yeah. That like their their world is doomed and they really have no way of getting. Well, off his it. own daughter becomes a scientist and realizes there's there's no microbes in the soil mm-hmm. and everything is dying. Yeah, and so like they really got no chance at all. Yeah. Um, and then the episode ends. He gets to see his wife, um, and then he's back on the bridge. And to him, forty years has passed, but in reality, like. 20 minutes. Like, like, maybe 20 minutes at most on the bridge. And then he's just like... We actually ask, how long have I been out? And they oh, say, yeah. 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then the probe that once had been lifelike here just shuts down entirely. And when they bring the probe into the hangar bay, they do a little research on it here, and one of the artifacts inside of there was a flute. Yeah, so so the interesting thing is there's a conversation that's had mm-hmm. um, between him and his his best friend at the very end. Well, he's a very old man; he can hardly walk. Um, his his daughter has set him on some stairs, and his wife comes back to him as a younger woman. In this, and yeah. and his best friend comes back to him as a younger man. 
and um, he's trying to understand and um, and his friend tells him because um, they're all there to watch a missile be launched yes they're all there to watch a missile be launched and um, and he watches the missile and he says I, I think I've seen this before and, and his friend tells him of course you've seen this before you saw this right before you came to us um, we hoped to find somebody who could tell our story and tell the world about us um, so that so the our memory lives it's on. on and so we we sent the probe the missile with the probe hoping to find someone and he says in his very old self he said and I'm the someone and um, and and suddenly puts together why he has these odd memories of being somebody else at one point yep. um, and so it sort of connects the dots so then when he gets back on his own spaceship and it's only been 20 minutes and um, all, all these things when they open up the probe mm-hmm one they, of the relics here is this in the box is this flute is this flute and so unlike the the previous episode mm-hmm. which leaves you wondering was he really dead was he really alive is Q really God is there yeah yeah okay so, uh, did that really happen um, did he really live both lives um, so where that was left open for you to be able to interpret mm-hmm. I found it very interesting that this one included the flute so he knew it was real that it yeah, really happened that all this stuff really happened and mind you he picks up the flute having never played it before and plays it perfectly fine it plays plays it beautifully oh yeah yeah so um so i thought it was an interesting counterpiece to the previous episode which left an ambiguous ending whereas uh, this this one gave you this very finite very sort of you know in all honesty, like this could have been like almost its own movie, and nobody would have walked away from that unhappy. Now, mind you, like it would have been a weird movie to have, but like it's still like a. This is again considered one of the more better episodes. Well, it's interesting because um, you do get to see mm-hmm. this went where the other episode, the previous episode, um, which is actually a later episode. Um, it actually happens in a later season. Yes. Um, where where that episode didn't go with wife and family mm-hmm. this one does yes um it's a primitive world not not a, a not a futuristic world like picard was used to right um he's working with his hands um not his mind although he does develop science and and passes on actually quite a bit to these people mm-hmm. um you know he's living a very rustic life um far simpler life by, a far, by his. yeah a far simpler life and, and you get to see him as a father with his children. Um, and so it, it went there, which was a side of him that we don't usually get to see. You get to see what he's like really as a man and not a captain. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. No, again, again, very well done. Um, again, this episode, again, considered to be a fan, very much like the top fan favorite episode. Um, remarkably, the flute. So in 2006... They did an auction of a lot of the old Star Trek props, because by that point they'd stopped making Star Trek episodes since nine, 2003, 2004 at the end of Enterprise, 
and the where and they had this this giant warehouse of all this old stuff from yeah. was literally back almost 35 40 years by that point you know when oh was, really so they had stuff from the original series they had stuff from the they kept a lot of stuff here this so they had like old like the for the star trek the motion picture costumes they had the old constitution ships because remember that back in the day here they they built these large models which went for hundreds of thousands of dollars in some wow. cases like the enterprise i think went for like three hundred thousand dollars the full like six foot model wow and other ships got similar treatments where they got like they got massive amounts of monies this flute went for like fifty thousand dollars at auction Wow. And when and what's great about is what's great about this auction was is that they were the only great way I learned about the auction was that um, they had a two hour like Discovery Channel net uh, history channel Neo Geo set kind of like little documentary yeah. about it. And then so the first hour is about like all the props and everything. Like they literally had to spend a year trying to find all these old props and going through the warehouse. Cause well, was, indexing them, I would Indexing everything, yeah. and then they had to decide what they were going to get rid of auction here at the end yeah. of the day. So they went through a lot of, like, went through all the boxes and they had to photograph everything, and then they had to put it up in Christie's auction ha- uh-huh. kind of warehouse for, like, yeah. a, for like a couple weeks where they were photograph it and well they got to actually display all the stuff they were going to sell to people oh that's so they said this really great museum of all this old stuff so you like again and you had like the model set you had like the full ship models here like these are instead of the four foot and six foot models and they're highly detailed with all this like because again that's how you you did ships back in the day yeah which if you also noticed in the show like they were used a lot of exterior ship shots because again i mean like is kind of expensive to film it yeah and tricky too i mean like so a lot of shots you see are very much like the same kind of somewhat static moving yeah. shots so yeah um but oh yeah flute went for a high, high amount of money but like patrick search tried to say here is like it's just a steel rod that they drilled some holes into it doesn't yeah, it's actually a very, play. it doesn't actually play no it doesn't it doesn't play any music at all it's oh, just how funny it's it's just like a pipe they drilled some holes into. That's it. Wow. So like, but that flute is a big deal for Picard, and like, it's one of those few keepsakes he keeps all the time. Well, and and the, and and again, you know, likening things to, um, to their relationship to our world now. Mm-hmm. I found this one, um, given our our environmental crisis. What gets left of us if we if we eventually end up with um, global warming and and uh, are these like the drastic effects that come from that? Well, not even just that, but but who carries our memory if we um, cease to live as a society? Yeah, what what carries on our legacy? Yeah, yeah. Um, So you know, if we get sucked into a black hole, what of us survives? They gave him the living experience, mm-hmm. which is, you know, and, and then he could tell about it, write about it, whatever. Um, and I found, I found that a very interesting way to preserve it. Yeah. The yeah. thought that you would send out a probe and... They would just basically latch on to somebody and have them experience what was the last kind of like couple decades of your world's life in order to be able to understand your world and what happened to it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. No, yeah, yeah. Very interesting episode at the end of the day. Yeah, and 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 topical. 
Yeah. I tried. Yeah. Alrighty. So what'd you think of all of this? Well, okay. So, so again, just, just, you know, whether it was just because these were well chosen or, or it was just that topics in general for them were well chosen, which I think is, is probably the, tr the case. Mm -hmm. Um, I totally get the, the attraction. Um, because you know i can watch law and order i can watch these things that you know they have a topic that gets resolved during the time period but it doesn't make me very few shows actually make me think beyond the end of the episode um in terms of what it what that actual impact is they don't leave you with um a, a lot to think about once once the drama's done and these really did i all of them did they they um, asked really broad questions. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I, I thought, you know, that, that to me, I, I find very attractive. What's interesting, yeah, about a lot of good sci-fi, fantasy, well-written stuff here, goes in maybe trying to ask a question, and, and a lot of times doesn't even find the answer to it all the time. But it doesn't have to. And it doesn't have to at all either. I mean, like, if anything... All it really has to do is just spark a conversation at the bare minimum. Yeah. And, like, again, we go to, like, Game of Thrones we, that we talked about here, like, a couple of weeks ago, and... Oh, and thank you for that, because I'm still... I, I went ahead and bought seasons one through seven. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Se season three, you get my one of my favorite characters, by the way. The oh, Viper. Do we? The Viper. Oh, oh yeah. No. I'm great. a Brienne fan. But anyway. Yeah. Of Tarth. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but no, yeah, no, good science fiction asks interesting questions. I mean, I, I, again, if we go, if we link this back to like Game of Thrones here, like again, Game of Thrones is very much of this, what would happen if, you know, what is the fantasy world that relies on, you know, kind of our own modern version of politics and backstabbing and what if everybody's just an amoral sort of character, what happens to the world then? And you see a world that's very much of this, um... Or, no, uh, season four, season four, I apologize, but no, season three. That's okay, that's okay, I'm just heading into season three, so um, that's something to look forward to. But no, they ask interesting questions and leave you with a sense of wondering about what's, what's to come or these topics here. Again, I go back to like the West Wing and I can watch the West Wing every couple of years and think, wow, these topics are still relevant and it's just amazing that these things are still again relevant years years and years after they ended i mean like the west wing is over like two you know almost getting close to being like two decades old now and wow yeah again it came out in 99 yeah yeah and, and you think about it and it's like 20 years later these topics are still kind of relevant well and it's interesting because as i said you know when we first started the next generation wasn't the will shatner star trek there are no troubles the trouble with troubles well, you yeah. get those troubles. These are not. I didn't choose episodes that were like that because they wanted a more. Because again, this is what I think Star Trek is: is is people talking and coming to conclusions, and not necessarily fighting all the time, but trying to be the best of humanity that we could theoretically be. Which is kind of what Gene Roddenberry's thing was: is that like humanity has gotten to a better place, and this is the better place that it got to. The Federation. The Federation, again, was just very kind of progressive. We want everybody to be a part of it. We're peacekeepers. We're explorers. We try, we try to find new stuff and new civilizations to better ourselves. We don't believe in money. Politics rarely creep into a lot of our lives. Like, 
the best that we could theoretically possibly ever be. Yeah. And, you know, like, and, and again, I mean, the, in the part where, like, the tapestry here, like, humanity is defined by their jobs in a lot of cases. Because, again, they don't work for money. They don't work for, uh, you know, they don't have to work in some cases here. You could theoretically be a bum in Star, in Star, in Star Trek here. I mean, like, but, like, the society's ingrained you that, like, you got to have a job and you got to provide, you know, to the rest of society here. You'll live a decent life, but you got to help everyone else out. Yeah. So, like, again, to Picard, where, like, you know, like, you're kind of judged on your ability to be, you know, who you are and your Your job, ability to contribute. Yeah, like, it's a big deal for him not to be able to contribute the way that he's supposed to. Yeah. But again, I mean, like, again, this is one of those cool things that Star Trek really did offer, especially in Next Generation, offered a lot of moral questions um, here. And, you know, again, non, some, of them, some of them without actual answers. And then you still get to, again, you get to Deep Space Nine and Voyager. They ask, again, very similar questions. One of them, which the backdrop of a war happening. Yeah. Um, and fighting happening and this constant struggle going on. And then Voyager, where basically it's like, well, we'll never be back here ever again. Do we just say F you and go and, and only look out for ourselves? Or do we still be, still abide by our own principles and still be the better people here, despite the fact that we actually really don't need to? Again, I mean, in Voyager, they could very well just kind of go around and just be like, F you, we're taking, all your, we're taking whatever we want because we got better technology than you. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and they don't. They actually continue to like have like try to have good morals about to, to live by the prime directive. Well, just to live by Starfleet rules at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, like they very much go through their life basically continuing to uphold their values, um, despite despite that nobody's going to call them out on it. Nobody's facing a court martial, and you know, like at the end of the day, here, like nobody's going to stop you from doing whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. You know, like, you're gonna go back, you know, like, we just gotta get home. Yeah. And again, you could theoretically be a bum on one of these ships, but, like, when you get to later seasons here, um, especially, um, when you get to Voyager here, like, the ship was designed as a long-term spaceship without, like, family crews on it. Like, yeah. Next Generation's Galaxy class ship, the Enterprise, was designed to have civilians on it. It was. Well, perfect. they show the school. They sh- it's Captain Picard Day. Yeah, like yeah, they have they. It was designed to exist as a, as an actual like, city on a, in a lot of cases. Yeah. With uh, with the captain basically being the mayor and the captain of the entire ship. Yeah. But it was designed to have families on board because they thought that would be, especially for a long term like deep space sort of like exploration vessel that. You wouldn't want to be away from your family for what could theoretically be, you know, years and years and years. years yeah. And so you would want to take advantage of having family that would make everyone happier. Yeah. Um, and Starfleet later decides, you know what, we're going to go against that policy that we had for all those times of peace where we have now more militaristic vehicles and ships where we, now we won't have families on it with the intention that these are ships that could get into a fight at any particular moment. We don't want to have... Put people at risk. We yeah, we don't want to put civilians and other people at risk here. Uh, and even the Enterprise was basically like, yeah, like it was a long-term science... Fa- it was a long-term exp- exploration vehicle, but 
it mostly just patrolled like its area this, yeah. of, of Starfleet and then like slightly ventured out to go visit other worlds not all the time but occasionally visited other worlds so okay but yeah but that's Star Trek and it's weird it's unique it's interesting and again I think really great writers have, have been able to imbue it with interesting moral dilemmas at the end of the day that really does show that like the world was a lot bigger than we might have imagined it to be with again conflicts that we you know like again like we weren't like again you said you weren't expecting some of these in yeah. some cases so. yeah uh, yeah I, f- I found it i found it um i found it fascinating yeah, yeah. all righty okay well, I think that'll do it here for us. Again, um, thank you for listening to this Nerd Tutorial podcast. You can find out more information at our website at www.nerdtutorialpodcast.com or follow us on Facebook as well at facebook.com forward slash nerdtutorialpodcast. And hey, if you think I've gotten something wrong or want to chime in on the topic or recommend future topics here, you can always visit me at nerd underscore tutorial on Twitter and I'll be more than happy to respond back to you. But until next time, I'm trying to think what we'll do next time. I haven't decided just yet. I have I have questions. Ooh. Yes. Alrighty. There are things I'd like to understand. Well, I will definitely help you understand some stuff. Okay. So right, so we'll see you guys all next time and thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye.